What is the mind? Does anybody know what the mind is? So the mind is uh, a few things. First of all, the mind is not the brain. Some people get it confused. The mind is kind of, when we're in this body, it's quite intimately connected with the brain, but it's not the brain. The mind is separate from the brain. Uh, the mind is uh, subtle matter. So, just like you have earth is a very gross form of matter, then you have uh, water, which is less gross. It's less gross, right? Less dense, uh, in a sense. Like you can see through it, right? It's quite formless. Uh, then you have an even more subtle form of matter called fire, which you can't even, you know, tread. You can't tread fire, right? You'll go right through it. And, but you can still see it. And then there's another, there's, there's uh, air, which is even more subtle than uh, fire. And then you have ether, which is what is com- space is comprised of, ether. There's no air there. So that's why you keep, when you go to space, you can't breathe because there's no, there's no air. But there's a more subtle energy called ether. And even more subtle than ether, there's that what's called mana or the mind. So, the mind is, is actually a very subtle material covering over the spirit soul. So, the mind is also a repository of everything you've ever heard, smelt, touched, tasted. What else is there? What other sense? You heard? Did I say that? Heard? Smelt, yeah. So it's all there, recorded in the mind. It's like a recording device. It's all there. Uh, the mind is also the seating place of material desire and emotions, material emotions. So the mind is a very, I guess, important subject to deal with because it affects a lot. Actually, yoga is really... The yoga system is really about bringing, you know, bringing the mind under control and engaging it properly. So we need to understand a little bit about it, about the mind. So one thing that we need to understand is that the mind is not us. The mind is separate from us. It's just like we're wearing a body, we're also wearing a mind. The mind is, is there, uh, the subtle energy, subtle matter known as uh, mana is covering over the living being, over the soul. So some people may mistakenly think that they are the mind, but they also say, my mind. If you say my mind, it means you're aware that there's you and there's the thing that is yours. You understand? Just like my car or my house, right? If you're yeah, my mind, that's right. My mind is driving me crazy. So, <clears throat> there's you who wants to, wants to have a peaceful life, and then there's the mind making it impossible to do so. So, let's do, before we get into how the yogi deals with the mind, let's do a, little, a couple exercises, maybe one or two exercises, to help us understand the difference between 
ourselves in the mind. So one way we can do this is by getting and looking at something. Okay, let's look at something, some image. Okay, let's look at those telephone poles over there. See those telephone poles? Peter? Yeah, I see one. I see one over there, okay. All right, so get those telephone poles in, get a good picture, mental picture of what they look like. Okay, now we're going to close our eyes. Now you're, not, you're no longer looking at the telephone poles with your eyes. Now you're seeing them in your mind. Okay? Now, in your mind, have them break in half. And look at them now, broken in half. Okay, now you know for sure you're looking at them in your mind because that didn't happen with your eyes. Okay? Now, for the, I'm not going to say anything for the next few seconds, maybe 30, 45 seconds. And we're going to try to keep those telephone poles in our mind, okay? Broken, or? Broken, yeah. Just hold it in there in your mind, don't let it go. Okay, now, do not try to think of anything. Just let whatever comes into your mind come into your mind. And just observe. Okay, now the broken telephone poles back in your mind. Okay, now think of a pink elephant. Keep the pink elephant in your mind. Maybe the pink elephant is running really fast and there's mountains in the background. Now picture the elephant running really fast with mountains in the background. And then it stops, it reaches the fence, so it has to stop and now it goes back the other way, running back. Okay, so you can open your eyes or if you like. So, you can see there's you and you're watching, there's someone watching a mind, right? Just like there's somebody watching a movie, right? You're watching a movie of an elephant running fast. Just like that, you're watching, there's you, the person who's watching the mind and also trying to control the mind. Sometimes the mind, like you're trying to keep that image of the broken telephone pole in your mind, but it's difficult, right, sometimes. Your mind wanders off, make maybe a rooster makes a noise, and then you start thinking about the rooster, or it sounds like a tree is going to drop on you or something. So your, your mind gets distracted by these sounds, right? And then you got you to, gotta, oh yeah, shit, I was supposed to focus on the, the broken telephone pole. So you can see how you are separate. You are the one trying to control the mind. You're struggling with the mind to make it do what you want to do. You see that? Yeah? You guys with me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, another way you can see sometimes is when you're reading a book. You're reading a book and you're, you're trying to comprehend what's in the book and you're trying to concentrate on what's in the book. I was actually, earlier when I was trying to think about how to, uh, you know, 
uh, delineate this class to you guys, I was uh, reading this book and seeing what I should read to you. And while I was doing that, uh, my mind was wandering. <laughs> and I was trying to get my mind to focus on the subject at hand, but it wanted to think about something else. So, so I had to stop, refocus the mind, and bring it back onto the subject at hand. And then I read it again, and this time, thankfully, my mind cooperated. So you have the person there, and then the mind, he's trying to focus. Just like you have a, camera, a cameraman with a camera. He's focusing the, the, the lens onto the image, right? So there's the person who's doing the work, and then the thing that it's focusing, right? So in this situation, there's you, the living being, that eternal living being inside of the body that we uh, talked about earlier on, he's also trying to control the mind. And he has a mind that he's wearing. So the mind is separate from us. Okay? There's, there's you and then there's the mind. Sometimes uh, we find ourselves... The mind is also the seat of all these material emotions uh, and desires. Sometimes we find desires in our mind that we don't want there because those desires are going to cause us a lot of problems. And we say, you know, go away. Get away from me, this desire. I don't want you. But it's there and we have to struggle with it to try to get it out. Or um, sometimes we're angry and we don't want to be angry because we're not around the people who are making us angry. And we don't want them to know that we're angry because it's a private anger, right? We don't want the people at work knowing about our personal life. So we try to, we try to uh, you know, get rid of the anger. But it's there, right? It's there in the mind. So you have this, you have this mind that you're struggling with uh, and it's that's covering over you and causing you all kinds of problems. Does everybody understand that so far? Mm -hmm. Okay. So now the question is, how do we deal with this? What do we do with it? How do you bring this mind, uh, how do you make it so it's not causing you so much trouble? So I found some verses in the Bhagavad Gita that I want to share with you guys and I'm going to read a little bit of, of the purport written by my grandfather's spiritual master. So, this is the text 5. I'm not actually sure what verse this is, but it's somewhere near the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, my Bhagavad Gita in my phone is not the best. Uh, it doesn't always it doesn't tell you what chapter it's on. But anyway, text 5 of some chapter. A man must elevate himself by his own mind and not degrade himself. The mind this is important. The mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and his enemy as well. So it is said that the mind can be your friend and it can be your enemy. You know, sometimes we think our mind is our friend because we're reveling in the thoughts that are there in the mind. But we don't know this mind is about to screw us real, real bad. You know, like, sometimes you have like a, 
a car dealer, right? And he's making you feel you got the best deal. But what he knows is that that car has got a uh, overheating problem. And as soon as you drive away all happy, feeling so satisfied and you think you got such a good deal, the car is going to uh, overheat and you're going to be stuck in the middle of Australia with a, a overheated useless car. So sometimes we find that the mind is very pleased and we're reveling in thoughts of one attainment, some attainment that we have received, such as a new girlfriend. Oh man. And we're just reveling in the thoughts of how wonderful she is and how sweet she is and how nice she is and how all these different things. And we're enjoying our mind now. And we're thinking my mind is my best friend because I got to think of this. Uh, you know, I, I can just lay there and just enjoy the thoughts in my mind now. But just like the guy who bought the bad car deal, uh, at some point, the girl is going to decide she doesn't like you anymore. And she leaves you for some other punk. And now you're thinking, now this mind is your worst enemy. It's, it's, you're, you want to not think about her because the thoughts of her is making you suffer greatly more suffering than you've ever imagined you could your enemy on the street can punch your face and give you a black eye or break your legs but you'll take a broken leg or black eyes a hundred times so you don't have to feel the pain of a broken heart so this mind which you thought was your great best friend uh, can turn into your absolute worst enemy. And it already is your worst enemy. You just don't know it yet. Just like the car dealer is your worst enemy, but you think he's giving you a good deal. You know? He was always your enemy. You just didn't see it. You see? So the mind is like that. So I'll just read on here, the purport. The word Atma denotes body mind and soul, depending on the different circumstances. So in the, in the Vedic, uh, or in the Sanskrit language, Atma usually refers to the soul, but it can also refer to the mind and the body. In the yoga system, the mind and the conditioned soul are especially important. Since the mind is a central point of yoga practice, Atma refers here to the mind. Because what we're, he's translating a, that verse that had Sanskrit in it. That's why he's describing the word Atma here. The purpose of the yoga system is to control the mind and draw it away from attachment to sense objects. It is stressed herein that the mind must be so trained that it can deliver the conditioned soul from the mire, I'm not sure if that's pronounced mire, M-I-R-E, of nescience. The material existence 
In material existence, one is subjected to the influence of the mind and the senses. In fact, the pure soul is entangled in the material world because of the mind's ego, which desires to lord over material nature. Therefore, the mind should be trained so that it will be attracted it will not be attracted by the glitter of material nature and in this way the conditioned soul might be saved. One should not degrade oneself by attraction to sense objects. The more one is attracted by sense objects, the more one becomes entangled in material existence. So, uh, this glitter, the glitter of sense objects, for the man, it's the woman. For the woman, it's the man, usually. And we're attracted by the glitter of it, right? And this is the beginning of making, this is the beginning of uh, pain and suffering. It appears very sweet and it appears like it's your best friend in the beginning, but in the end, it's, it's a cause of great suffering. So... <clears throat> A person should uh, should be should see these workings, should see the mind. Uh, well, the yogi he sees his mind proposing all these different types of enjoyment, uh, and but because he is understanding that his mind is separate from him, that he is not his mind, he therefore does not uh, give it much attention. He he think he sees the mind's proposals, but he doesn't uh, feel compelled to act on them. Whereas us, we can't help it. We're forced to act uh, by the mind's dictations. We can't not do it. This is called entangled or conditioned or enslaved. Uh, so we're forced to take these trips and suffer again and again. So in the yoga system, there are uh, means by which one can control the mind. That the, the person cannot be uh, sucked into this suffering. Or at least it can be limited. Uh, one way that a yogi is described that the yogi should deal with the mind is not that the yogi should completely pretend that he doesn't have a mind, but he should regulate the mind, train the mind. Because the mind, as I said here, can be your, become your best friend. So you need to, we need to learn how is it that the mind can become your best friend. Because it's possible. The mind can become your best friend instead of your enemy. You know, there's two kinds of mothers. One mother wants to be the friend of the child. And the mother is very afraid of the child, of, doing, of saying anything that the child doesn't like. So the child and the mother go through the grocery store and the child wants everything that's bad for it. Right? It wants all the sugar candies and the chips and, and everything that's bad for it, right? That's what kids want, the immediate uh, sensual pleasure. And um, a parent 
who wants to be a cool parent, wants to be friends with the kid, will let the kid do whatever the kid wants out of fear of the kid's wrath, right? But it should be the other way around. A good parent is one who, uh, the, the child is afraid to do the bad thing, not the parent, right? A good, a good parent will uh, not, not let the kid have any food, but uh, regulate what food the kid has, right? So the good parent feeds the kid good food that's good for it. Do you, understand, you guys understand that? So uh, the yoga system is not one of uh, trying to uh, completely uh, ignore the mind, but it's to use the mind, uh, give it what's good for it. In the beginning, the mind might hate it, just like the kid might not have a taste for uh, healthy food. You know, healthy food doesn't have to be uh, distasteful, at least for this example. <laughs> you know, healthy food can be actually uh, healthy, I mean, tasty, right? You can develop a taste for healthy food. But in the beginning, if you're used to eating junk food, it's, you're, you haven't acquired the taste yet, right? So you need constant exposure to healthy food and then you start to develop a taste for healthy food, right? So our minds are so uh, addicted to uh, quick sensual enjoyment uh, that we try to feed it something that's healthy for it, uh, it rebels, you know? It wants a quick, cheap sense enjoyment. So. Uh, in the yoga system, we learn to not to not give the mind anything, but uh, engage the mind in such a way that it's good for the soul. In other words, it's good for you. Some things are not good for you, and some things are good for you. And the yoga system is one of the bhakti yoga system, at least, is one of uh, developing uh, a positive tastes for spiritual activity, uh, then your mind, once having, having uh, tasted this new, higher taste, is able to give up the lower taste. Has anybody here ever tried to give up sugar? Mm -hmm. Has anybody succeeded for some amount of time? Mm -hmm. What's it like? Because I don't know. <laughs> No, I mean like sugar, like white sugar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because in the beginning it's really difficult, right? In the first few days, in the first few days it's it's like hell, sort of. But when you when you get over a certain, get past a certain point, you feel happy that you're liberated from the sugar, and you don't desire it as much, right? The desire goes down quite a lot. So, but you have to make the original decision that this is bad for me. This is leading to bad stuff and I need to give it up. So, there needs to be some type of uh, decision made that I'm going to... Uh, I've, been, I've been the slave of my mind for so long. Now, I'm going to make the decision 
that I'm going to uh, be the master of my mind. So, uh, there, I don't know how I can say this briefly, but in the Bhakti Yoga system, it's a system of, of uh, applying some things and when you're ready to let go of some other things that are hampering your progress. Um, as you do this, you will, uh, in the beginning it might be difficult. For example, one of the things a person should give up, uh, and eventually it, it's going to come to a point where you must, but at least in the beginning you don't have to, is to give up taking intoxicants, drugs and alcohol. Uh, in the, someone who is addicted to drugs and alcohol might hear this and say, oh man, that is difficult. How am I going to ever do that? You know. Uh, but it's... Uh, but if he does, if he does do it, uh, then he will start to appreciate a different kind of pleasure, a different kind of happiness than the one he was getting before. And if that pleasure is superior than the one he was getting before, then he will, uh, he will not miss it because he's, he's now experiencing something better. Just like if uh, someone was uh, if I had for for dinner uh, bre bread and butter every night that was my dinner I'd actually that would be important to me because i I don't know of any other meal that exists that bread and butter is my if I, without it, I feel like I'll die. You know, I'll, I need my bread and butter. I look forward to it. That's my dinner. But then if someone came to me and said, you know, pizza exists. And, and uh, you, can, you can have pizza. I'd be like, okay, well, you bring me, bring me the pizza and then I'll give up my bread and butter. It's really difficult to give it up just on the strength of you telling me that it exists right so uh, once you get the pizza then you forget all about the bread and butter right so in the same way uh, when one tastes a happiness that's superior to the happiness that the mind suggests uh, spirit, material happiness because the mind is always interested in material satisfaction material quick quick material enjoyment uh, then a person can give up uh, when he tastes the higher taste then he can easily give up the lower taste and to the, the degree that he's tasting the higher taste he can give up the lower taste it's not necessarily like a, a one or the other so <clears throat> you know it's not the goal isn't to give up things the goal is to taste something better so we need to learn uh, how to engage my mind in a positive way that's good for me, the soul within the body. You know, there's this is a this is maybe beyond the limits of our subject for today, but um, in the bhakti yoga system, we learn uh, actually what's good for the soul. In other words, what's good for you, the person. 
It may not be good for the mind. The mind might hate it. The body might hate it. But you will feel alive. And you will feel... Uh, yeah, alive is the best way I can put it. Right now, basically, people are more or less dead. They live... They get temporary flashes of enjoyment with their body and temporary flashes of enjoyment through their mind. But they are basically dead. As soon as that enjoyment is finished, then they're dead again. And so they try to find another uh, temporarily, temporary pleasure to feel not dead. And then as soon as it's over, dead, dead again. So they live in a, basically a world, world of death. But when, when you um, start to taste spiritual happiness, then you, uh, in other words, it might be, this spiritual happiness uh, might be uh, very painful to the mind and the body. But yet you inside feel alive. Is this, is this, to me, I think when I first started chanting, nobody actually said it like that. But I think I might have, if I, if I would have heard that, it would have been like uncomprehensible. Because all my, anytime I've ever tried to experience any kind of pleasure, it's from my mind and from my body. And uh, to, to try to, there's another type of happiness, another place you can find it is your very being, you. And, and then when you experience that, then you, ex you, you can see that the mind is not really the place to get happiness and the, the, the body isn't either. You know, there's, you can have happiness of the soul, of, of actual spiritual happiness that's inseparable from my very self. Uh, so uh, meditation... Um, so once, once we begin to get a taste of that happiness, then the mind starts to desire it. And the mind thinks of ways to get it. So then your mind becomes your best friend instead of your worst enemy. Because your mind's suggestions in the past led you only to suffering. But the mind's suggestions in now, when your mind is, con is uh, now... Uh, your servant rather than your enslaver, you know. So the mind helps you. In other words, the um, the mind helps you uh, to achieve uh, happiness of the soul. Okay. So um, how do we know what is what is to be done and what is not to be done? You know, because what is it? Another suggestion of the mind, right? So um, there's, fortunately for us, there are um, numerous uh, God-given books uh, telling us what to do, what not to do. Not man-made, not man-written. Uh, the Vedic scriptures. Also, not only that, but what gave me faith in the Vedas is my spiritual master, an actual uh, yogi who's experiencing this. When I, when, I know, when I know somebody who is like this and I can perceive from within my heart it's the real deal, that's like a, a huge amount. I would not have enough faith to apply the process in my life to go through the difficulties I'd have to go to if I didn't have a living role model uh, that I can see uh, is already achieved what I want to achieve. 
it would just be another passage in in a book, right? So, so what kind of difficulties do you mean then? Because, for example, like uh, practicing japa meditation, uh, to do that is quite difficult for a lot of people, right? For me, it was difficult. I, I didn't really enjoy doing it for the f first long time, but I kept to it because I wanted to. I wanted to have what he had. You see what I mean? But if 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 I if I just read it in a book, I read about it in a book amongst many other things that are in other books. I would not have the I would not have the determination and the perseverance to you know what I mean to stick with it. You see, and to give up things that my mind wants to do, you know? It takes a lot of, it takes, it actually takes uh, faith that I can achieve something if I, if I have to, you know, you're not really challenged if you don't have anything, uh, your faith in something is not challenged if you, if you're not, if you don't have some suffering in order to achieve what you need to achieve, right? Because if you don't have faith, in, you can you can go along the you can go along the go along with the motions of something if it's not causing you any trouble, right? And if it's not causing you any trouble, and as soon as it starts causing you trouble, oh, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to do something else, right? So there has to be if a person wants to succeed, there has to be some underlying uh, faith that if I if I do this, I'll I'll have some. It'll be good for me, right? So like for example. Uh, someone, uh, they go to university and put up with all this stuff from the university, taking all the tests, sleeping very little, uh, having, a, you know, a very stressful university life. Um, because I have faith that if I pass, the degree will somehow make me happy. <laughs> or, right? So I, because of that faith, I persevere through all the, the, the tests and the stress and everything. Unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't... <laughs> That doesn't work. <laughs> so you end up working so hard because of your faith, uh, you know, in misguided, misdirected faith, right? So uh, there has to be, in order to achieve something, there has to be some, some faith in order to pursue, to, to go through the trials and tribulations of it, right? So especially in the beginning of spiritual practice, there's a lot of uh, trials and tribulations. In other words, I have to, you know, I have to, even if it's a matter of like going to the kirtan rather than going to the bar, it's a struggle, right? It's like all my friends are going to the kirtan. I mean, all my friends are going to the bar and, 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 and I think, and then, you know, to me, it's like a matter and I have to go to the kirtan. So I have to have at least a little bit of faith that going to the kirtan is worthwhile um, to do it. You know what I mean? So, um, it's like that, you know, it's not, if you want to make progress, you have to make decisions and make, make choices, you know, and, and sometimes those choices go against what your mind wants, you know. So you have to, you have to, uh, this is, this is, it's just like having that kid in the, in the grocery store, you know, in the beginning, it's a struggle with the kid. The kid is, he's like, what? Like, you're my servant. What are you talking about? No. What is this? No. Cause you, you know, up until then. You've been letting the kid do whatever it wants. And at some point, and the kid's turning into a little selfish demon monster, right? And you're like, well, what have, and then you realize, well, what have, been, what have I been fucking doing all this time? 
I'm not even, I'm not parenting. Like, I've got to, like, get my act together. So then the, the mother makes a decision. No more am I acting like the kid's slave. I'm going to take charge here and do what's good for the kid because he's turning into a little monster, right? And then so the kid, in the beginning, you think he's going to just accept it? You know? You think he's just going to go along for the ride and say, uh, yes, mommy, because you say so? No, he's used to being the boss. And he's going to put up a fight, right? And it's going to be a struggle. And you have to make the decision, I'm going to go through this struggle. Otherwise, I'm not going to succeed here. It's part of the game. You have to go through the struggle. Otherwise, there's not, not going to be any success. So this is the yogi's relationship with his mind in the beginning. He makes a decision. I'm the boss here, not you. I just thought, I thought you were part of me all this time. Now I just realize you're not me and you don't even have my best interest in mind. You know, you're just keeping me more and more enslaved, uh, chasing after one false goal after another, and this time it's the real thing. Every, every time a girl walks by, she's the one. Every single time. How many ones have I had in my life? She's the one. A lot. She wasn't the one. Every time my mind thought it was the one. I remember this girl, Erin, in my sixth grade class. Man, I loved her so much. I thought she was the one. I was convinced, you know. I guess it turned out, no, she wasn't, you know. So anyway, the relationship with the yogi and the mind is the, the, the yogi is the boss of the mind. So up until now, the mind's, the mind's uh, been our master. So we have to learn about how to uh, not we not to uh, totally ignore the mind, but engage the mind so it it works for our uh, benefit, our actual spiritual benefit. When I speak of our benefit, I'm speaking of me, the soul, not me, the mind, or me, the body. Right? When I'm speaking of me, I mean me, the person in the body. And so, uh, what what the mind wants isn't necessarily what's good for the body. And we can see this uh, example very clearly in like an example of somebody who's addicted to like crack or something, you know? His mind needs the crack. His body needs the crack. He thinks if he gets the crack, he'll be happy. But everybody knows, man, this guy is in a fucking bad state, you know? He really needs, what he needs is not the crack. He needs to get off the crack, right? So if he gets off the crack, then he'll be a lot more peaceful than, than he is now, you know? So... Just like that, we're addicted to so many things, uh, and it's not—it's not bringing us any real happiness. So, uh, you know, the—the the good thing is here, we don't have to actually give it up and then grab onto some. We don't have to give it up, really. All we need to do is really add the bhakti yoga process to our life, and then those things—they fall away. So you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to give up one before accepting another. You can, you can accept. You can take the mantras in your life, take the the, the meditation practice in your life, and uh, these programs, hearing, learning about um, spiritual topics. Uh, you can take that into your life, and then gradually the unwanted desires will fall away. So you don't really, really need to make a separate effort. Sometimes you make need to make a little bit of a push at the end, you know, just like, 
you know, sometimes you have like a, I don't know, a Band-Aid, right? And if you rip the Band-Aid off right away, it hurts, right? But if you soak it in water, it gets loosened up. And you still need to pull it off though, right? So you just have a little, a little thing and then it's gone, right? So sometimes you need to give it a little kick in the butt and then it's gone. You know, like you're never going to quit smoking. In other words, like if you don't make a decision, I'm going to quit smoking. You know what I mean? But if you've got your beads to replace the, the cigarette with and you've got the mantras, you know, then you got to, sometimes you just got to give a little smoking a little kick in the butt and then, you know, it'll be all right. Okay, was that understandable? I hope. Hare Krishna.